If you have a Bible, please open it now to the book of 1 Samuel. Today we're in chapter 16, and we're going to be reading verses 13 to 23. Uh, I'll tell you something about Ed leading worship today that you probably don't know. Some of you may, but he did this totally on the fly. This is not Ed's Sunday to lead. Our leader wasn't able to be here, so I just told Ed, look, I'll do it. I can remember how. And he said, no, I'll do it. I said, are you prepared? He said, no, I'll do it. (laughs) Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it more than I can say. With that said, hear now the word of the Lord as we look in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and I'm going to start in verse 13 because we need to continue something of the context. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you have given us your word. Your word is the index to all of reality. It is the truth, the truth with a capital T. And we pray that we would feel the effects of its authority as the Spirit of God opens our eyes and shows us wondrous truth from your word. We pray that your spirit would so work in our hearts to accomplish things that will lead to your ultimate glory and for our ultimate good. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We have so much irony in this passage, it's hard in just a few minutes to point out all of that irony that we see. But you remember the story, and I feel like I maybe need to catch some of you up on it because sometimes we're in and out with all this sickness that we've been facing. But you remember that Saul, as king, was the people's choice. Saul was a good-looking man. He was tall. He possessed charisma. He uh, probably was something of a a rock star as far as being a, a soldier is concerned, as far as his military prowess and ability. He was second to none. But Saul had a problem. He was the people's choice. He wasn't God's choice. And so God gave the people what they wanted. He gave them Saul. And Saul was successful in the beginning, but now he's on a trajectory of falling. We're seeing Saul's life begin to unravel. We're seeing it begin to uh, fall apart. And it's sad to watch. It's sad to see this man who was once favored above all among his people, the king, and we see him deteriorate before our eyes. Because Saul had a problem, and we saw it as we looked at the chapters in Samuel leading up to his life. He was a disobedient servant. He did not follow God's will. Especially in chapter 15, right before this, after the Amalekites, he disobeyed God's command clearly. And when it came time for Saul's repentance, it's about the worst excuse for repentance I've ever seen in anybody's life or in the Bible. He cared more about the approval and applause of men. He cared more about his image before the people. He cared far more about his power and the potential of losing it than he did in obeying God. Saul was possessed by idols, idols of the heart. He loved approval. He loved power. I'm sure he loved pleasure. He wanted his own comforts. He wanted to be who he was, empowered before the people. His reputation meant everything to him, and he would disobey God to honor it. And so we see Saul's life begin to unravel. We see his life begin to fall apart. And at the same time, we're beginning to see this rise of the shepherd boy named David. Now, by the way, chapter 16 in 1 Samuel is not chronologically uh, related to the book of Samuel. Uh, It probably actually was written with chapter 17 in view, which is where David kills Goliath. You'll see that if you look closely at some of the reports about David in this text. But all of a sudden we see a dramatic contrast. If you look in verse 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. We also read in verse 14 that the Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul. Let's talk for a moment about the Spirit of God. The Bible invites us to learn to see things from a biblical point of view. And the scene in 1 Samuel 16 is described by the Bible writer in terms that reveal to us things we could never see just with our human eyes. Samuel anointed David in Bethlehem as the one chosen by God. When he said, a king after my heart, 
God's own heart. He means a king of God's choosing. God selected David to be the king. By the way, God is sovereign. We're going to see that all the way through this narrative. God is sovereign. He is sitting upon the throne. He is ruling and reigning over all. And what looks like chaos to you and me is God working out his plan and his decree for all of human destiny and for his own glory and for the good of his people. God is sovereign. He's not going to be sovereign at the end. He's not kind to sovereign now. He is absolutely sovereign, and that should mean something to you. That should give you a great deal of comfort and hope because if God wasn't sovereign, something else or someone else would be. And that something or someone else would not have your interest at heart. It would be an absolute power display, but God is sovereign. And God moves as he will. He doesn't always explain to us the choices that he makes. But he has chosen David to be his king, and he's going to be a very different kind of king from Saul. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Notice that the Spirit never leaves David. Even though once in Psalm 51 he prayed that the Lord would not take the Holy Spirit from him, he never did remove the Spirit from David. But he does remove the Spirit from Saul. It's an astonishing statement. When we think about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we notice that the Spirit is sort of the breath of God. Actually, the word for spirit in Hebrew, ruach, means breath. It means breath. And the first encounter we have with the Holy Spirit is him brooding over the chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then the earth became dark and was uh, void and uh, was chaotic. And we realize that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, hovered over the chaos and ordered creation out of the chaos, ultimately the apex being the creation of, of mankind in God's image, But the Spirit of God is actively involved in creation. He is actively involved in redemption. And he is actively involved in kingship here. In the earlier history of Israel, the Spirit of God equipped God's people for particular tasks. You can think about someone like Samson or someone like Moses or someone like Joshua. And the Lord was with him over and over. You think of Samson, how the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And uh, he tore a lion into pieces because of that. He defeated a a whole army who came against him. Uh, And so Samuel is an example of that. But the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul in the beginning, and Saul prophesied. But now the Spirit of God had been taken away from him. And the observable effects of the breath of God on these men varied. Samuel tore a lion to pieces. Saul prophesied. Um, Now the Spirit of God is resting upon David. And when Samuel anointed David in Bethlehem, he uses the same words with a very important addition. That is, it did not depart from him. Also, one other thing. When Saul was anointed, he was anointed with a flask of oil. When David was anointed, he was anointed with a horn 
of oil. Should we make any difference out of that? We probably should. Because the horn of oil is the horn of an animal, and it indicates and represents power. Power. Flask, smaller, less dramatic. A horn, much more dramatic, indicating the power of the Spirit. And so the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon David and was with David from that day forward. And so this new king is going to be different. He's going to be different. He is set apart. He is God's man. He is God's choice. And it doesn't seem that there was an observable effect of the Spirit at the moment he was anointed, but we see it, especially coming upon him, even in the next chapter. And so God chooses his king. He anoints him with the Spirit, but he's got a problem with Saul, or Saul has a big problem. The scene shifts in 1 Samuel 16, 14, back to Gibeah, where Saul is. There's no indication of a time period between the events we have witnessed in Bethlehem and what we're about to see here in the latter part of chapter 16. But we do see that some of the events uh, occurred probably in chapter 17 before this episode in chapter 16 happens. What would now become of Saul? His disobedience has led to his rejection. He was rejected three times clearly. The new king is identified, yet not public. He's empowered for leadership, and now he begins his process of being prepared for his calling. But one of the things that's most amazing to me is why did David take over 10 years to take on the throne? And why did God have David go and serve with Saul in the court? What was the purpose of all of that? What possible good? Perhaps some of you right now believe that God has set you apart for a specific purpose, and you've believed that for maybe a couple of years, and yet nothing is happening that seems to proceed with that. Why the delay? What is the point? I suspect that David had it in his mind the day when the Spirit fell upon him and the Spirit had departed from Saul that he was now about to occupy the throne. And the servants, when they came to get David, expressed the Israelite belief that God's hand is behind all the experiences of life. The evil spirit or the harmful spirit from the Lord was the other side of the fact that the Holy Spirit had departed from Saul. And the explanation for this is that Saul's behavior suggests a severe mental or emotional disturbance. The Bible here is not giving a psychological explanation of what's wrong with Saul. It's talking about a theological explanation and understanding of the cause of it. And the cause of Samuel's um, radical misbehavior is because the Spirit of the Lord has departed him and a spirit of misery, distress, and harm had come upon Saul as if possessed by it. And so the word evil in this context can be understood that way. In a different context, you remember Job said, the hand of God... Uh, 
was behind a lot of the harm that came his way. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? When you think about the Lord sending a harmful spirit upon Saul, it, it immediately makes me think of Paul, the apostle, in 2 Corinthians, where he mentions that he had a thorn in the flesh. And he called that thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And you know what to buffet somebody means? You ever watched a boxing match? You ever watched one guy beat another guy to a pulp with his fist? Paul describes his thorn in the flesh as a purpose of buffeting him, therefore delivering him from pride, therefore enabling him to recognize that he needed the grace of God, that in his weakness God was strong, and so he was buffeted by this messenger of Satan. i tell you what, the more I learn about God and his ways, the more mystery I run into, and yet God is sovereign and uses those things to accomplish his purposes. But let me get back to David and his having to be uh, in the palace or his going to the palace as he's sent and gathered for that uh, responsibility. David's assignment there served several purposes. First, he stood to learn a lot about statecraft and the life of the court that otherwise he wouldn't have known. His success also began to give him public fame. He would continue to build his fame until he ultimately became the king of all Israel by the choice of the people. Second, David began to learn that the Lord had chosen him for the Lord's own service, not for his own self-service. From the time he was anointed, David must have been severely tempted, and we will see this, to seize the throne for himself because it's rightfully and righteously his. But the crown did not become his until he had experienced at least 10 years of sudden reverses, battles, betrayals, and narrow escapes. One of my favorite Old Testament commentators is a man by the name of Ralph Davis, and he said, you know, the trouble starts when the Holy Spirit comes. Do you realize that? Do you recognize that? David is now anointed. He's now filled with the Spirit. And he's serving this anointed, I mean, this king who's sort of in the um, afterglow of his own kingdom, and he's chosen for that purpose. And there's such an irony here, but it's, it's amazing. Once David is anointed and receives the Holy Spirit, that's when everything starts falling apart for him. That's when everything gets hard for him. That's why, because as I put in the front quotation in your bulletin, your life is like a house. We want to settle for a cottage by the lake. God wants it to be a mansion. And so when the Spirit of God comes upon him, that's when trouble begins. And David illustrates that in his work in the kingdom. Sudden reversals. Everything happens to him. If this were not so, David would have never survived to rule. Yes, David would reign, but only by way of difficult path. And here, David is much a type of Christ. 
David is a type of Christ and an example to us. Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sits at the Father's right hand, far above all earthly rule and authority. Yet he was exalted only after his death and resurrection. Jesus' road included all that was in David's path, but Jesus' path included a sacrificial death as well, a burial, a resurrection. Even so, he submitted to God's will in faith and endured to the end all believers are going to receive a crown we shall reign with Christ on earth when he returns but Christ promises persecution Paul says this entire age is one of suffering for believers our path to glory will be long and arduous the examples of David and Jesus help us endure but more important, we are given the power to endure by the Spirit of Christ. Once God's Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, that's when the trouble starts. Because he's trying to straighten out that which is crooked, starting with you and me. But the Holy Spirit indwells us to make us holy. And one would have thought David would have been ushered in on a big white horse as a king, just as one expected Messiah to come as a king riding in as a champion. No, David comes in and he has the job of dealing with this crazy man. His first task as God's anointed one, as the one chosen to be king, is to go and comfort King Saul, who's out of his mind, who would get in these moods. Ultimately, he tries to kill David, and David played the liar. Now, I always thought a liar was a harp, so I decided, L-Y-R-E, not L-I-A-R. I always thought a liar was a harp. I remember we had the grand opening of Spring Meadows Presbyterian Church in 1988, or was it 89, Pam? Nine? I knew you'd know. In 89, we hired a harpist to play at our grand opening. And it was beautiful, it was stunning, it was powerful. But that's not what David is playing. He's playing a lyre, so I looked it up. And it's kind of like a guitar in ways. I mean, it has a box out of which the sound comes. It has two arms that reach up, cross piece at the top, same length strings all the way down. And apparently you would pluck the strings. And apparently you had to be pretty gifted and skillful to play this thing and for it to sound like anything. But Saul recognized that music somehow soothed the savage beast inside. And so he hires David out to come, and he's in the throne room. Isn't it ironic that the king who is on his way out selects, loves, approves of, wants in his presence David, who's described as a man of war, who's described as a man who has a lot of charisma, as a man who's a, a rock star musician. Apparently he was good enough to play to calm this man down. But that's how David's path to the kingdom starts. It's also how your path will start. David had to learn humility. David had to learn servanthood. David had to be prepped for the calling that he was called here. But the gift of Yahweh's spirit is not merely gracious, it is that, but it's also severe. Yahweh equips David, but for conflict. 
one that will frequently make spine-tingling brawls with lions and bears seem dull. No sooner does the Spirit touch David than he is cap uh, catapulted into endless trouble, the envy, anger, and plots of Saul from chapter 18 on. David, the man with the Spirit, will be hunted, betrayed, trapped and escaping, hiding in caves, living in exile, driven to the age, right to the end of 1 Samuel. The Spirit of God comes and the trouble begins. That's how God works. And that's how the irony is so profoundly given to us. The irony here is amazing. So Saul had lost his mind. Some would argue his behavior was classically like uh, some of the psychological maladies that we describe today. But all I can tell you from it is once the Spirit of the Lord left him, remember Jesus talked to that guy one time and he said, when a demon leaves, seven more worse come to inhabit the heart. And apparently that was Saul's case. Now, there's an argument. Some of you are curious as to know whether or not Saul's a, a, a Christian, whether or not he was a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. My answer to that is God only knows and he hadn't told us. I like to think that all that Saul lost was the kingship, but I can't possibly say that that's how it happened. And so David, David becomes this servant in. But notice, I want you to notice something very important here. The Lord was with him everywhere he went. Notice the description of David in verse 18. One of the young men answered, that is one of the servants of Saul, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war. When did he do that? This must have been written after David and Goliath where the songs started ringing out, Saul has killed his thousands and David his what? That'd be hard to take, wouldn't it? That'd be hard to hear the people singing that in your face as a result of David. Uh, I could tell you a story about that, but I won't. All right. The Spirit of the Lord had departed Saul and he was living a life of misery, distress, and a mood that led him to be violent and unconsolable. But then David was sent. The solution was David. And so Saul summons David. David serves Saul. And the sense of irony continues to build when David becomes Saul's armor bearer. Although that moment may seem unremarkable enough, in due course, we will see that the handing over of arms will be the symbolic way in which Saul's son, Jonathan, will abdicate the position as successor to the throne to David. Here Saul unintentionally, perhaps unnoticed by any of the participation or participants in this event, Saul, of course, saw none of the significance we now see in all of this. David was the kind of servant he was looking for. And Saul sent to Jesse, let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my eyes. And so here we are. When the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it. Saul was refreshed. 
was well, and the harmful spirit departed from Saul. You know, God's purposes are always hidden. They're always hidden. The Spirit of the Lord departs from Saul, and now the ministry of David, who has received the Spirit, uh, is now ready to begin. David was the one who could deal with the evil spirit, brought on by the departure of the Spirit of the Lord, of course. The Spirit of the Lord was empowering David. God's purposes for the man from Bethlehem were hidden from all who saw only as man sees. But the truth is, is that this man would become Israel's king. The Spirit of the Lord had come upon him for this purpose. You remember Jesus was baptized. John the Baptist tells us that the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came down from the heavens and resided upon Jesus. And then in Luke's account in chapter 4, the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. Jesus has anointed the Christ, the Messiah, and just as David was in service of Saul in misery, who was troubled by an evil spirit, his greater son, Jesus, is baptized in the Jordan River, receives the spirit, and immediately goes to be tempted of the devil and to overcome him. But there's a wonderful passage in the book of Isaiah that speaks to this. Many years after these events regarding Saul and David especially in Bethlehem, Isaiah would look forward to the day when another shoot would come from Jesse. There shall, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. What's that saying? It's a child coming from Jesse as father. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of the, his lips he shall kill the wicked. The day the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David because the background to this promise, the promise was fulfilled when Jesus came and John the Baptist baptized him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him for this purpose. And only when we realize that does our life make sense. Again, application for us. The ultimate Messiah, the ultimate anointed one, by the way, the anointed one for Hebrew is Messiah or Messiah. The anointed one in the New Testament is Christos in the Greek, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' name. <laughs> Christ is Jesus' title. He is the anointed one. He's the one who has the Spirit. Now let me tell you something. We as believers in Jesus Christ are the temple of the Holy Spirit both corporately and personally and individually. We have the inauguration of the new covenant gift of the Spirit who indwells us, and that is who we rely upon for strength. 
Before I come every Sunday morning and even during the week, I pray, Holy Spirit, empower me to preach God's word today. I have no power. I have no gifts that will do you any good at all. But by God's grace, occasionally, I sense the Spirit of God takes me and uses me to accomplish His purposes. And so you as a believer, when you are asked to do something or go through something, and you look at yourself and you despair, and you say, where am I going to get the strength? Where am I going to get the power? How am I going to be able to endure this? How can I possibly fulfill what I know God is calling and wants me to be? The Holy Spirit lives in you. Do you see that? It doesn't make you God but it makes you indwelt. The, the person of the Spirit has penetrated your being and heart. He is with you. God is always with you. He is in you. Therefore, call upon him. Paul said, do not get drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, be empowered by. Be enabled by the Holy Spirit. You have him in you. Call upon him. And he will empower you. He will strengthen you. You know, he's the very reason you're a believer today. He's the very reason that your eyes were open to see the truth. He's the very reason that your heart has been regenerated and you are a new person in Christ Jesus. And he will be with you forever. Some people have said that the Holy Spirit, especially in circles like ours, Presbyterians, is the Rodney Dangerfield of the Trinity. He doesn't get any respect. But the reality is, I don't think there's any tradition in Christianity that honors and stands for the necessity and joy and power of the Holy Spirit than ours does. John Calvin himself was called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. And so I think what this shows us is look at David as the Spirit comes upon him and how he lives, and look at Saul as the Spirit comes away with him. One last thing. The Spirit's departure from Saul shows that the Holy Spirit has a restraining influence upon Saul's heart. We, the church, the body of Christ, are to be salt and light in a dark and corrupt culture. And one of the ways we do that is living by the power of the Holy Spirit. We reflect and have some sort of restraining influence of the rotting, corrupt culture and the darkness that is enveloping our world. And only by the power of the Spirit can we be salt and light. Jesus said that is what we are. That is who we are. We don't become it. We are it. Why? Because we're vessels. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us live by his power. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. And I thank you for the surprise that even was to me as to what is here. And there's so much more here than I can say or have time to say. But I pray we'd get it, we'd see it, 
that the Spirit is about making us new. It's about making us holy. He is about working in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. And every other spirit is evil and harmful and destructive. And without him, we will fall apart. Now, Father, I pray for those who don't know you that the Spirit will open their eyes to see the beauty and glory and attractiveness and suitability of Jesus for their souls. And I pray for this, those of us who have the Spirit within us. Teach us how to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the flesh. And this, Lord, we pray, and then as we continue to worship you, May we give as people who are grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray in his name. Amen.